0: Welcome to Technovation, I'm Peter High. I'm pleased to welcome Shailesh Prakash and Chintan Mehta to the broadcast today. Shailesh is the Chief Information Officer and Chief Product Officer of the Washington Post. On the CIO side of his role, Shailesh leads the company's technology teams. And on the digital engineering side of his role, he's focused on digital innovation and a variety of platforms. Prior to joining the Post, Shailesh was the Vice President of Engineering at Sears Holding Corporation. Chintin is the Executive Vice President and Group Chief Information Officer for Digital, Innovation, and Strategy at Wells Fargo, a Fortune 100 bank with revenues exceeding $100 billion annually. Prior to joining Wells Fargo, Chinton was the Group Vice President and Chief Technology Officer at Walgreens. In this interview, we focus on strategy and its role in driving growth and innovation. Shailesh discusses how IT and engineering went from being a cost center to being a strategic differentiator and driver of business growth. He goes on to share the story of Arc Publishing and Zeus Technologies, which grew from internal solutions into sizable revenue drivers with over 200 customers for the company. Meanwhile, Chintin shares his view on the importance of long-term strategic planning and how the company's strategy, digital platform, and innovation group set strategy across the organization. If you enjoy Technovation, please consider reading my new book, Getting to Nimble, How to Transform Your Company into a Digital Leader. The book's available now on Amazon. As a special offer to our CXO listeners, if you purchase 50 or more books for you and for your team, I'd be happy to join your team for a group discussion on it. To learn more, write us at info at metastrategy.com or visit gettingtonimble.com. Thank you. This interview was recorded live at our Metastrategy Digital Symposium on March 30th, 2021. And now for a word from our partner, Aptio. Digital transformation
1: is a journey, not a destination. Technology decisions teams make today determines the success of tomorrow. That's why Aptio is dedicated to helping companies harness the power of trusted, actionable insights. It's called technology business management, and more than 60% of the Fortune 100 are already using it to speed their innovation. Learn more about how Aptio can help you connect your technology decisions to better business outcomes. Visit aptio.com.
0: And now, on to the interview. Gentlemen, welcome. It's great to see you both. Uh, Thank you. Let me, let me begin with you, Shilesh. Um, Shilesh, you joined the Washington Post uh, almost 10 years ago. And as we've done with a few other conversations of kind of a walk through, down memory lane, the organization that you joined uh, nearly 10 years ago was, let's be very candid, uh, on perilous footing. Um, the, the media landscape, more generally speaking, was. I know in, uh, the, one of the newspapers that my my family got when I was growing up no longer exists, and I'm sure many people who are uh, watching this today can speak to, to similar consequences of consolidation and, frankly, just liquidation that's happened in the media space. You had a different vision uh, for The Post and how to get it back towards health and to to sort of earn its place toward a new reality. But I wonder, what was it about what you found, an organization that's advertising revenue was declining, uh, one that, that also had a declining readership, frankly? Where did you see kind of a diamond in the rough with what you joined? And what were some of the initial stages and steps that you undertook in order to polish that diamond?
2: Yeah, so thank you for having me, Peter. Um, Yeah, the media industry, like you said, I mean, uh, if there's one industry that uh, the internet has truly taken a sledgehammer to, it's been the newspaper industry. You know, Um, the the often talked about analogy is that it was basically print dollars uh, to digital dimes. We went from having a very strong print-centric business almost in many ways a monopoly uh, to then being completely disrupted when the internet came along. And I think that the newspaper industry made a big mistake where initially the digital strategy was completely funded by advertising. So you got the newspaper, you had to pay for it. But when you went online, then you got it for free because it was supposed to be funded by ad dollars. So all the paywalls and the pay for content that you see now was pretty much non-existent, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago. It's a relatively new phenomenon that we are now asking you to pay for quality content. Um, So, uh, definitely, I mean, when I got to the post, it was a business that had taken a huge hit uh, in terms of declining revenues. Uh, And, you know, I came from the technology industry. And um, it was obvious to me that uh, one of the things that had taken a backseat in that turmoil, was basically product development and engineering. You know, whatever little resources were remaining were being poured into the newsroom. Uh, but uh, essentially, like some of your other guests have talked about, uh, the the technology was pretty much outsourced, and it was a, a, a cost center. So, so the goal was to cut, cut, cut. And if there's one thing that I've learned over the years, you can't cut yourself into success that's that's not a strategy. Um, so I didn't know any better. I mean I came from the tech world where you know when you saw a problem you tried to build a solution to it. You didn't go and put an RFP out to find which was the cheapest vendor that might solve your problem. And uh, the talent gap was extremely high. Mm-hmm. right uh, We had an IT organization that was for the longest time used to babysitting systems as opposed to having a product mindset of building and fixing things and taking control of our destiny. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that was my primary uh, goal in the beginning, uh, to stop the bleeding where I could, uh, to get the newsroom to at least start using some of the tools uh, that we were trying to uh, get to them. And ultimately, the uh, goal was to make sure that you know, if you uh, draw an axis, you know, one is excellence in journalism and the other is excellence in technology. It wasn't an option for us just to be excellent in journalism. You know, we had to also be excellent in product and design and engineering and technology in order for us to survive. Because again, I mean, the technology companies were also getting into this space, you know, whether it's Facebook or Google News or Apple News uh, or many of the pure-play digital uh, players, yeah. you know they had much faster, cleaner, nicer experiences than what the venerated Washington Post and the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal had. Mm-hmm. The apps were nicer. The experience was nicer. It was mm-hmm. more immersive. So you know, NetNet, it really wasn't an option. You know, we had to be best at both in order not to just do well, but to survive. Mm -hmm. And that was the conversations that I had uh, with my CEO at that time and the CFO to say, this is not an option. I mean, if we go on like this, uh, just cutting uh, IT is not going to end well uh, for us because we have to be excellent in
0: both. Very interesting insights. Thank you for that. I look forward to continuing the dialogue with regard to that journey. But let me turn to, to Chintan Mehta. Uh, Chintan, uh, as I mentioned before, the chief information officer, head of digital technology and innovation at Wells Fargo, a post you've had for roughly three and a half years now. Uh, I wonder that's an interesting uh, purview that you have, Chintin, uh digital innovation and strategy. And I wonder if you could talk about the kind of through line between those three different disciplines that are within your purview.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. The... Uh, and it so turns out that the the sequence of the letters is a little bit off, but it is a continuum if you think about it, right? And people people talk about it all the time, uh, which is strategy, the way we see it is something which is at least five plus years out. Um, and the hypothesis being that we can do all inward looking conversations, we can have as many as you want to have. But I think the, the sort of the disruption coming for every industry, financial services, no exception, Wells Fargo on top of that is even less of an exception. Uh, the disruption coming is going to come from outside in the vectors it's going to take is going to be very different. So how do you sort of create uh, sort of a context under which you can you can keep an eye on things which are either disruptive or uh, or accelerating uh, things that you need to do, which is where strategy comes in. We do a lot of uh, work uh, with research institutions. We work with MIT, uh, quantum research group, Stanford human centered AI. The the notion being uh, what can be possible in four, five years? And, and what do we need to be aware of and working towards? The second tranche is innovation, even though the SDI acronym has digital in the middle. But uh, essentially, the idea is when you have a strong hypothesis, how do you prove it? What, what, is, your, what is your mechanism to sort of test that hypothesis, whether it's through dog food or uh, customer betas, whatever it is, something, something you have a strong feeling for, something you have a high, uh, high expectation on, but can you prove it and test it? And then finally, digital. It's all about scaling. How do you scale it for a, a 70 million uh, custom, customer base in the U.S. for retail banking? How do you scale it? How do you make it relevant? Because not everybody is going to have the same experience. Not everybody is going to have the same expectation. Like One of the things that we push very hard on and we have been pushing for a while is like nobody wakes up in the morning saying they want to go to a bank. Like, leave alone Wells Right? People want to go to an aspirational experience and they don't want to be pulled away from it. But how do you give safe, efficient banking in context of a lot of those things? And that's the threat. Like, that's the whole vector around how do we think about investments? How do we think about uh, building capabilities, talent pools, whatever that is?
0: And, and I, I'd be interested in your perspective. There are those who say that with the pace of change, uh, that strategy becomes less uh, important for some, certainly a, a perspective I don't have. And I know that it, not a res- perspective you have as well. What, how do you answer that? If, if one were to say that a strategy when committed to paper is not worth the paper it's written on because of the pace of change, there will be so much that needs so many moving parts, so much need for modification as time goes on. How do you think about uh, conveying the importance of strategy, perhaps even the the increasing importance of strategy as a result of the times we're in?
1: The way I would frame it, uh, Peter, is that there's, there's a there's a time constraint function and there is a filtering function. Like without knowing without knowing what sort of uh, at least some semblance of a hypothetical end game, which is f- a few years out, every shiny object will look like worth engaging with. But not every shiny object is worth engaging with in reality. Right? Not everything sort of pans out. And I think in that sense. Strategy gives you that context. You could be wrong about strategy, right? Uh, and you should have the mechanisms to be able to sort of reevaluate and pivot when something new comes along, which we are not expecting. Uh, but the, the model that we operate with is we revalue reevaluate, re-evaluate our, our point of views and a lot of these things periodically. But at the end of the day, it's still about what we think we have an opinion on, where banking will be in five, six, maybe 10 years. The fertility drops down pretty aggressively as you go further out from time in time. Uh, but at least you need to have a point of view which allows you to sort of filter what you engage with because there are so many things going on it's just practically impossible no matter how big the firm to do everything
0: yeah it's a fair fair point shaylesh i want to go back to you um one of the really remarkable aspects of your story has been the strategy that you formulated and the plans you put in place um, in order to develop this product mindset that has come up in a, diff- a variety of different ways. I want to I want to to cue up the story that you've told me on on several occasions of the development of Arc Publishing and now uh, the uh, expansion into Zeus Technology. If you could just take a, a few minutes and talk a bit about how uh, transforming the platform that uh, the post itself. Uh, publishes on became a, a revenue opportunity more broadly across the, the organization and the industry, uh, one to the tune of, of, of quickly growing to $100 million in in revenue uh, and perhaps more. Uh, talk a bit about the, the the story there, if you would.
2: Sure. I mean, like I said, I mean, uh, I didn't begin with a great business plan to sell software or to become a company that actually uh, was a SaaS vendor. Uh, that, uh, that was not uh, at all top of mind for me, uh, my main job was blocking and tackling and fixing and building and getting the right mindset and the talent into the company in the beginning. But as we uh, saw some, and and you know the one thing I found, and I found this a couple of times is, you know, Peter, when there's a change that's occurring, then uh, people often divide into what I think are three groups. There's one pretty small group that says, "Oh wow, finally, finally, this change has come. We've been waiting. We've been, uh, you know, uh, shouting for it. Now it's here. We need to now transform from being this, uh, you know, IT-centric company more into a product-centric, more into a build uh, philosophy." That's a small group. And then there's another small group which is, "Oh my God! I mean, I, this is going to tank us. This is the worst thing." Absolutely, we are going to spend a lot of money. How can we ever compete with what's out there? This is ridiculous. And then there's a pretty large middle group that is kind of waiting and watching. You know, they don't know whether to go with the optimists or the pessimists. And so the initial uh, first uh, few years was basically trying to get a few wins on the board You know, to at least get some stuff built that took care of the most pressing problem. But as the organization began to shift with a few of the wins that we were getting, then I really began to think that, look, I mean, if this is the state of uh, the situation for a storied brand like The Post, it can't just be us, you know, there must be others out there too. But I was also afraid of whether we had the ability to truly offer a cloud-based CMS, you know. Uh, So the first thing that I I did is that I offered it for free to university newspapers to say, hey, you know, you guys have publishing needs too. I mean, this is how we are doing blogging. This is how we are building our apps. This is how we are doing our content management planning. Would you like to try it? And uh, universities are uh, pretty quick, especially if it's free so they uh we got a couple of universities we got yale we got columbia we got uh, the university of maryland here in dc and from there you know i got more confident that indeed we could build multi tenant systems i also got a little bit of the sense of what it would cost to do something like that what the support issues might be and then from then on you know uh, we managed to get a very small client uh, in Portland, Oregon, uh, to be our first paying customer. I still believe they sent me a check in my name that I carried in my pocket. I didn't know where to deposit it. Um, <laughs> and then from then on, I mean, it's just been, uh, you know, the the original thesis that I had that this was a need, not just in the post, but outside as well, to have a loosely coupled a SaaS-based publishing system that could take into account the disparities between video and mobile and uh, blogging site apps, etc. Because you know the the new digital world is very immersive and touches so many points. A modern article is not just the text in it. There's so much multimedia in it, and so for the production and crafting for that uh, in a reliable, performant way. There was a huge need for that. And so before we knew it, we had the LA Times, the Chicago Tribune, the Baltimore Sun, Philadelphia Inquirer, and now today, our publishing, which is our commercially offered product, we are in 150 countries. Um, We have uh, close to about uh, 200 customers. And uh, just last month, uh, we processed in that platform 1.5 billion unique users. So the post itself now is less than 10% of the traffic that flows through the platform. Um, So, again, I mean, I didn't start with a business plan. I did not know we would end up here. But as the opportunities arose and our engineering confidence built, talent attracts talent. And so we've got um, a fairly talented set of engineers. And we service not just the post, but publishers worldwide with our platform. And recently, we've started expanding into larger enterprises. BP is a customer. Uh, We've also expanded into broadcasters. In fact, broadcasters are our largest revenue uh, driver uh, for the platform. So it's been a long journey. And then quickly, the Zeus side that you mentioned. So that's Arc Publishing. We Mm -hmm. are... We called it ARC because it spans the arc of a modern publisher's needs. Um, And Zeus, we like to say Zeus is loose now. Uh, Zeus is our advertising technology. And there, too, I've taken a playbook from what we learned in the publishing side. The ad technology landscape is, first of all, very difficult to understand. Uh, But there's a lot of engineering we did to optimize ad revenue on our online properties. And some of that technology we've taken and, again, also started offering to other publishers to drive higher CPMs and more revenue. And that, too, has become a new business. Um, Zeus has got now about 75 customers around the world. So that, too, um, is another revenue-generating business that began as fixing our own problems, but then offering it to other customers as well.
0: Fantastic. Wow, what a great great series of stories there, Shailesh. Thank you so much. Finding that that uh, thing you're solving internally becoming kind of a de facto standard for the industry and then using that as an opportunity for revenue opportunity. I should mention you went from CIO to, to chief product officer based on the great work that you and your team have done. You're now a consigliere to the, the owner of The Post, a guy as many people uh, will know of, uh, Jeff Bezos, as uh, in a variety of ways, including being on the, the board of his space company, Blue Origin. Um, Chintin, I'd love to go back to you. Um, you, you, you uh, prior to the pandemic, were working a lot on thinking about digital experience and incorporating a strategy around that. And obviously, that becomes all the more sacrosanct, more important during these times. Talk a bit about the learnings uh, during crisis about the changing habits of your customer base and how you thought about the evolution of di- digital experience as a result of that.
1: Yeah, so I think I think there were two two vectors in a very simplistic sense. So there was there was the 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 colleague vector, which is like people who were in branches, people who were in the offices suddenly couldn't be in the branches and offices. But these these people provide an essential service at the end of the day. So how do you enable them to actually continue functioning? And and I, the network be, uh, became inside out, and suddenly your surface became sort of a completely different story around how what the endpoints are, where people are working from, even contact centers for that matter. So there was a lot of work that we had done as a precursor because, as with every other organization uh, on a digital journey, we were evolving our systems and our platforms to actually get to that scale. What pand- the pandemic did was it just completely asymptotically sort of accelerated the transition. So there, was, there wasn't there was any sort of hedging. There wasn't any, any alternative choice. You just had to go do it and you had to do it as fast as you could. So that was one vector. The second one was in terms of customers' preferences. Right? When you don't have access to things that you're used to, muscle memory goes out the door and customers have no choice but to use some digital assets. Um, we learned a whole lot around where we had gaps in our experiences. What, what, what we were finding was uh, all the generative research we were doing, all the eval research we were doing, they were missing certain basic aspects of what the uh, pain points for the customers are as they go through their, their day-to-day lives and use banking in that context. Um, and 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 I think what the biggest benefit the way I frame it at least for my team and for the people who I interact with is that learning of how to move fast based on that feedback uh in terms of being able to sort of incorporate the feedback that is going from customers usage of our services products offerings whatever it is and then incorporating that in the next iteration um that has been like the most uh valuable learning we have had uh through the pandemic and then even now as well and you know the processes that we redesign in context of pandemic how fast can you make decisions cross decision rooms across legal compliance performance uh, like all all different groups in there it, it it leads you to being more nimble which is the bottom line of the whole story over here um but everybody's going through so we'll see uh, the the learnings continue i don't think they end here
0: yeah Well, gosh, Shailesh Prakash, Chintan Mehta, thank you both so much for sharing your perspectives on the remarkable journeys that each of you have led uh, in your organizations as well. What a great conversation.
2: Thank you.